podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome along to This Is Ibrox, This Is Your Rangers Podcast. My name's Scott Patterson and we are conducting tonight, uh, it's tonight obviously when we're recording, um, one of first of many live interviews that we're going to do um, during the, the summer and into the season ahead. Um, joining me from the This Ibrox table is Gus Denham. Hi Gus, how are you? Very well Scott, thank you. I'm looking forward to this one. Yes, indeed, absolutely. Listen, before we introduce our guest, um, I should say if you are following us across social media, thank you. If you're not, then you should. We are available on Twitter at this is Ibrox, Instagram at this is Ibrox, and Facebook we are this as Ibrox. We're also on TikTok as well now, um, which is something for the kids to get right into, not something that I particularly can due to the fact that I'm older than the other kids. Um, so if you do want to follow us there, I recommend you do jump on and do that if you can. Listen, we've got a fantastic guest to join us tonight. Thomas Gronemark. Hi, Thomas. How are you? Hello, I'm fine. How are you? Yes, very well. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, you're absolutely welcome. It's it's a pleasure to be invited. So, Thomas, for so I'll introduce you as what I understand you to be, and then you can, by all means, sort of um, flesh this out. You are the gentleman who was responsible for the success of Liverpool's throw-ins in the period of the year um, Seven, sorry, sixteen, seventeen to seventeen, eighteen. I think it was. Um, tell us a little bit about you as a person. Um, I'm particularly interested to know how you went from being an athlete and in the Danish bobsleigh team to being a effectively a specialist coach in football. Yeah, you can say I've been playing been playing football for around fifteen years myself. I played in the highest U19 league in Denmark. I was, uh, yeah, quite a good fo- good football player, but I wasn't good enough to be professional. So uh, I had like two strengths. And, and the, the first one was like, I was really great at, at doing long throw-ins because I've seen my big cousins, Ben and Johnny, doing that already as a kid. So I, I tried to, to do it myself too. And the other strength in football was I was really fast. I, I never lost a running duel, no matter if it was 10 or, or, or 50 meters on the pitch. So so in the mid-90s, I went to athletics and, and I guess I had quite a talent because already the first year I came on the Danish national team running 100, 200, 400 meters in relays. And I was in the athletics world for six years on the national team every year, a couple of times or several times uh, Danish chairman on the 200, 400 meters and European chairman in the 4 by 400 meter relay for club teams in Paris in year 2000. So so quite successful with, with the athletics. Then in 2002, I I went to another sport, bobsleighing. And that was quite a surprising sport also for myself because I was afraid of roller coasters as a kid. So, But I could handle it. So I was on the Danish national bobsleigh team for four years. We were traveling all around Europe. Uh, the States, Canada, and so. And it was in the middle of that bobsleigh period in 2004 where we played like this indoor football match against the German bobsleigh team because we had a cooperation. And suddenly I threw from from one end to the other uh, of that indoor arena and and everyone was impressed. So so then I thought, hey, if I can make a good throw in, can't I teach football players to do it too? So after that bobsleigh trip, I went down to my local library in Denmark to find that book about throw-ins. But there was no books at all, so um, I had to do my own long throwing course. And 
so I just video analyzed myself and did a lot of experiments there. And and then in October 2004, I had a course. And yes, I didn't know if it would work. And I could have been starting with a youth amateur team. But I had the courage to ask a local Superliga team in Denmark. That's the best league, uh, a team called Vibor. They said yes. They improved their throw-ins a lot and scored a lot of goals on throw-ins. And yeah, so all in all, it it was a successful. So, so since... 2004, I've been helping professional football players uh, being better at throw-ins. And maybe you'll come to that later. The first couple of years, it was only long throw-ins. But then after a couple of years, I changed to all the throw-ins all around the pitch. So, listen, one one of the things that I I think that I discovered today, which really um, took me aback, was I've never spoke to anyone on a podcast that is a former world record holder and I see that you've had that previously with 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 these throw-ins yeah yeah that's totally right because after a couple of years of of um of only only coaching long throw-ins of course that was great too in the Danish Super League I suddenly saw in one football match that that they were they were really bad at all the other throw-ins too so I started working on my long fast and clever throw-in philosophy and in, in 2008, I thought, hey, I'll get my international breakthrough after a year or so, because now it's not only the big, strong teams who want to use the long throw-ins, but now all teams in the world, like um, like Barcelona, like, let's say, uh, Chelsea, like Rangers, they could suddenly use it. And yeah. But but no one wanted my knowledge around the fast and clever throw, throw-ins, only the long ones. And then I thought, hey, I, I have to have some attention around the world to be known, not only in Denmark. So I decided to see if I could beat the world record, world longest throw-in. And there was an official Guinness World Record at 48.17 meters set in 1998. So by a, an American called Mike Lochner, 10 years old, that record. I could throw around 40, 42 meters. That's quite long because normally I say if the players are, the pro players are, are, are throwing around mid-30s, that's like world-class. So 40, yeah. 42, that's long. But I also knew that like two way up, two way up to a long way up to the 48. So, so I, I thought, hey, how can I then beat it if I can't really beat it with a normal running? Then I saw a, a flip throw in uh, in the television. I saw like this little girl there, and 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 she just made a run in. Then she jumped down on the ball, made a flip, landed, and threw the ball. And I thought, hey, that looked cool. That couldn't be that hard. So, <laughs> so I tried. I took directly. I went from the telly and took my ball and went down to the cra- training ground. And and again, I was a non-gymnast and I couldn't even do a small tumble and been weighing around hundred kilos like the last twenty years or so. So, um, but I tried it. And um, then two days after, down at the physiotherapist, I thought I needed some help because I really hurt my back there. So um, to make a quite long story. Quite short. Then I had got help from three di- uh, d- d- different gymnast coaches. Um, then I had a world record attempt in August 2008 um, in the national match between Denmark and Spain. You can see that on my YouTube channel too. I threw 44 meters. I didn't beat the world record, but it was quite good. I raised around around like 15,000 pounds or so for diabetes research there. Quite good. Then in 2009, I had a world rec- world record attempt in the match Hertha Berlin against Wolfsburg at the Olympic Stadium in Berlin. 40,000 spectators, like clapping, clapping them all in the halftime break there. Really cool. I didn't beat the world record there. 
because it was raining and I had to take a run in on the athletics track with boots, so like really slippery. Uh, but then in 2010, I, yeah, I was just getting better and better. And then I set the official Guinness World Record of 51.33 meters. So, uh, so it was quite cool to um, to be the world's best at something. You're the only one who's coaching. So, uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, that, that was really great, uh, a great personal uh, accomplishment, I think. And then. Uh... Obviously, you, you, your big breakthrough in 2018 when Liverpool came calling. I mean, what what was that like, uh, meeting Jurgen Klopp for the first time? Yeah, it was totally crazy. First of all, that call came, like, totally sur surprisingly because I was just having a family trip there, uh, visiting a chocolate shop in early early July 2018. And and suddenly Jurgen Klopp was, uh, was on the phone and, and he asked me because Liverpool... The season before, the 17-18 season, Liverpool were really bad at the throw-ins. They only had a possession on 45.4% on throw-ins under pressure where the players are marked. So they were only number 18 out of 20 in the Premier League, so third last on that statistic. And 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 they, yeah, they had a great season with fourth place in the Premier League and Champions League final loss to Real Madrid, but they were really bad at the throw-ins. So Jurgen Klopp called me, invited me for Melwood, Liverpool's old training ground, and it should only be in a meeting, nothing else. But Jurgen Klopp was so convinced or impressed that I got the chance to coach 21 Premier League players, all the players who weren't injured or at vacation after the World Cup. So, yeah, and then I think it was the week after we signed a contract first for six months. I, I guess they had to see, okay, does it work? Doesn't it work? Uh, but then quite fast in the fall there, we, we, we made a, a contract for the rest of the year. And then... Uh, this season here has been my my fifth season in Liverpool FC. So, and and it's been fantastic. Several reasons. First of all, because we won the Premier League and the Champions League. Yeah, like you probably know, we won everything we could in in club football uh, these five years here. But also because uh, some data and, and analysis from Chief of Football showed that, yeah, that in in the first season it was there 18-19, we went from. 45.4% to 68.4% went from number 18 in the Premier League to number one in the Premier League on this statistic. Also number two in the whole Europe just after FC Midtjylland, one of my other clubs. So so like you can probably guess, I really shared those statistics there. Like <laughs> so uh, but but of course, but but of course I was happy for that because you know because it's 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 sometimes really hard to convince people. Yeah, one thing is long throw-ins, improving them. You can measure that. Scoring direct, you can see that. But for many people, it's really hard to like see possession and spaces and pressure and so. So, for a company like company like Tifa Football to to come in with with such statistic and data, that's really good. Also, because of course I have a lot of data myself. But first of all, a lot a lot of the days I have is like restricted because of contract can't share it, and then it's it's you know if if you have to talk about your own work with your own data, you know it's much better if, if it's a third part. So so all in all, it's it's been fantastic. So Thomas, the 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 hike the hike from 18th to first is that that's a that's a huge difference. That's a huge jump in. Um, Ability, I, I don't know if ability is the right word, but sort of coordination and maybe a bit of um, sort of teaching on your part. What were the, what were Liverpool, sorry, what were Liverpool doing wrong that you got so right? 
you can say Liverpool were just like doing probably the, approximately the same things wrong like most other football teams. You know, there's a tendency that that people, first of all, the outfield players, they're not like really moving. And if you're not moving, you're not really creating any space. Then you throw the ball up to a big bunch of people and then you the defending team has a bigger chance of uh, uh, gaining possession. Uh, so that's one thing. Another basic mistake is that the, the, the throwers are coming too close. Sorry, the, the receivers are coming too close to the thrower because, you know, oh, I, we want to have the ball, yes, but you're not creating great space that way. So Liverpool were just doing a lot of basic mistakes that that all other football teams were doing. So so for me, it's like quite easy to come to come to football teams and not only improve their uh their throw-ins because yes that's my job but you know most teams i'll say even all teams i'm coaching they're improving their performance i've been a part of 14 titles you know in in international football also with with ix flamingo brazil philadelphia union toulouse uh, fc midland a lot of people got a lot of teams got promoted some were like going from the bottom to the to the middle or the top of the league and the reason why is that throw-ins you have normally 40 to 60 throw-ins in a match and you're using approximately 20 minutes on throw-ins and throwing related situations in a match so so those people who are saying like oh throw-ins that's only a small thing i also hear some coaches saying oh we don't really have time to to train the throw-ins i think that okay okay look at the statistics look at the numbers it's a little bit like saying oh you're having a fast fantastic car or even a sports car let's say formula one car and they're saying okay uh, the tires uh, that, that doesn't matter because we just want a great motor and that's a little bit with the throw-ins it's a little bit like we, we've been seeing a, a car with with uh, wooden tires instead like in the old days in the medieval so <clears throat> so so i think that that that's the reason why the teams I'm coaching, they're not only being better at throw-ins, but they're also winning titles and going up there, either in Europe or in, in the, the the placement in the league. And so 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 I've just been lucky that, of course not lucky, but but I've seen a thing in football where I thought, hey, wow, that's crazy that that no one is working with that professionally. And and the worst thing when I when I realized there in 2007 that almost all teams in the world were really bad at throw-ins was it was it was not the most shock was perhaps not that they lost possession lost the ball they didn't create space but i was perhaps even more shocked by the the commentators and the experts because every time they lost the ball the commentators didn't say anything at all so you were just expecting that throw-ins would be bad yeah. and and that was also a signal for me it's 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 not only about improving something but it's also the culture it's also how we see throw-ins but you know it has the same effect to lose the ball at the throw-in like lose lose it in the middle of the pitch you're you're losing control you're risking that the opponents are scoring goal against you and obviously if you keep it you can be, be successful yourself so um yeah just wanted to ask him like i think you kind of briefly touched on it there but um did you ever like struggle to to get the players to buy into what you were doing and motivate them to actually learn about throw-ins? Because as you say, it's usually just like a throwaway thing. You don't really bother too much about it. Did you ever struggle to like motivate players to 
to get into your methods of coaching? I'll say I'll I'll put that up in like like several sectors here. First of all, if we take the long throwing, long throwing technique, uh, most of the players I'm coaching over a period, they improve five to fifteen meters only with technical training. So first of all, a lot of these players, they are suddenly having a how can you say a weapon? They are suddenly going from from one level as a player to another because they have this extra weapon. Um, some of the players are even even really bad when they start, and and sometimes their teammates are even laughing about them or of them. And then after an hour, they're the best. And imagine those teammates laugh first and then saw that afterwards. Oops. So, <laughs> so you you can't you can't find any other thing in football, no matter what it is, where you can go from bad or medium or very bad, and then an hour later be world-class. So, of course, there are two reasons. One reason is that most football players have a really bad throw-in technique. And the other reason is that I've been spending almost 20 years to, to, to improve it. So it's quite easy for me to help the players improve. And again, back to your question, when we're looking at the long throw-in, I see a lot of motivation from the players. They can see they improve, but also... Um, a lot of motivation by the coaches and the team because they can see they're suddenly scoring uh, a lot of long throw-ins. For example, I was also at Brentford last season in the Premier League. The most successful team on throw-ins in the Premier League scored a lot of a lot of long throw-ins. So, of course, a lot of motivation there. Wow, then you're suddenly good. And I could do that for every team in the world, you know. And that's one of the, the hardest things to defend in football because you can have, you, you can have players who are worth like almost billions of pounds, then they can play against a League Two team. And then suddenly that League Two team, they have a like fantastic long thrower. And he may be only like three pounds worth or so. <laughs> no, that was like a little bit less, but you know, you know. And they can't do nothing about it because if you can deliver long, world-class long throwing, you have some good headers. We saw it against, I think it was City against, I can't remember the club, Cheltenham or so in the cup, like last year or the year before. Like like they earned like thousand times as much in in City. But they they scored and they, and City, they like equalized like in uh, in the 80th minute or so, you know. So so again, back to your question, when we talk about long throw-ins, a lot of motivation, players improving easy. The teams are improving. They're getting new weapons too. Then if we're talking about the fast and clever throw-ins and all in all, you can say that's all the other throw-ins. The way I I try to motivate the players there is not to make make it too boring. So, of course, they have to learn some specific things about space creation and so. But in these drills, I try to incorporate small goals and passing, scoring, of course, also marking. And so, so... there's also included both um, small-sided games, but also, yeah, bigger zonal games. So, so for me, it's um, for me, it's about making the drills also entertaining. Of course, it's always a balance because if the players are only having fun, they're not learning it so much, at least. And if it's too serious, it's also so. So that's the balance there. And then I'll say an element is is also that because I've been so. Um, blessed to be part of many successful teams, winning many things. I think there's also this effect when I come to a club, the players are thinking, hey, we'll be better now, of course. And that's a little bit easier now 
winning all those titles with all those clubs compared to when I was like unknown. So I guess it's a little bit the same way if you have a great podcast. If, if you heard it's already great, wow, we'll listen to it. And so 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 then we're just looking forward and it's the same with throwing coaching. So uh, so so again, yes, back to your question. Um, motivation is, is really important, yeah. You know, it's really interesting because um, before you joined us, Gus and I were speaking sort of off camera and we said it's probably an area of the game that is very niche. I think we agreed it was, Gus, then we kind of thought it was a very, and it's it's not a it's not a sexy part of the game, Thomas, with all due respect. It's not a part of the game that anyone sort of homes in on. Um, and we do know that we, we Rangers indeed have a, a, a guy that's dedicated to set pieces now in, in Harry Watling. So it's something that I think is, as the game changes and tactics continue to evolve and analysis continues to, to evolve, um, there's probably a space in every elite football team for a coach that is dedicated to, to throw-ins, isn't there? Yeah, I'll say, first of all, you're totally right. There are set-piece coaches. I think that the the biggest challenge set-piece coaches have is uh, is throw-ins because traditionally set-piece coaches have a lot of knowledge around corner kicks and, and, and free kicks because we've been training that in football for like 150 years or so, always. So that's also the reason why some of the clubs um, I've been... I've been coaching. They, they have already set-piece coaches. For example, let's just take Brentford again, where they have Bernardo, who's doing a fantastic work in Brentford. But but he he doesn't know enough about throw-ins, at least not the way I do. So so I think, yes, there, there are a lot of throw-in, uh, sorry, set-piece coaches out there, but they're normally not specializing in, in, in throw-ins. It's more the corner kicks and free kicks. And if they're looking into throw-ins, I'm feeling that they're taking a little bit the same approach like like they're doing to corner kicks and free kicks. Like, okay, we set a play up and then we go after it. But what people forget that is that throw-in sacks, perhaps not the long throw-in. That's another thing. It looks a little bit like corners and free kicks. But if you're looking at what I call the fast and clever throw-ins, it's a little bit of a mixture between a set piece and open play because – a lot of my coaching is around team space creation. We can create space uh, space in many different ways with different tools, with with uh, different amount of players looking at the individual throwing superpowers. So the individual strengths. We're looking at the opponent's defending patterns, uh, how they are standing, how they are evolving while we are moving. Then we have different zones and so. And let's say. Uh, Sometimes we throw after two seconds and sometimes we throw after 15 or 17 seconds. And during those, let's say, 15 seconds, there might be open like like 6, 8, 10, 12 different kinds of spaces deliberately. And we have to choose what kind of space is best, not only for possession, but also with the uh, risk award. Like sometimes it's really good to take a low risk, high reward throw in because if you're losing it, you don't have a lot of, of risk there. Um, so for me, it's a mixture between throw-ins are a mixture between uh, open play and set play. And I think that a lot of the set pieces out there are, are taking, for me, the wrong approach by saying, okay, we're saving these two things up because that's way too easy. For me, I think it's much better that you learn the players to create many different spaces, learn to read it, and then take decisions. A little bit like Barcelona back in the days with the Tiki Taka. 
it was not like like in they said okay Iniesta run there Xavi run there Messi and then Busquets there no they played so many runners played so many small sided games that they had millions of options and had the understanding and that's the way math throwing coaching is working and for me that's much much better so again uh, back to your yeah how can you say question before I think there's a lot of need for knowledge around throw-ins and my big goal is actually to make throw-ins sexy because they are sexy um, because it's just because we're not used to in football to looking at throw-ins and space creation if you're looking at basketball i don't know if you, some of you are seeing basketball I, i'm seeing a lot of nba i actually visit boston celtics training facility here in march uh, yeah, over in Boston. And so I'm using a lot of space creation from basketball in, in my co uh, throwing coaching too. And if you see basketball, we're looking at a lot of space creation when they're running in different ways. So that pick and roll, or we want to create space for three-point shots, something like that, many different, we are working in sequences. And so, and basketball audience, they're used to seeing that as sexy. But yeah. we, we're just used to in football, okay, a throw-in, let's just chug it up the line. For you, wow, that's really unsexy. So you know, I, I want to make it that way. So let's see, you're you're seeing football with a friend, and your friend he's going out uh, in the middle of the game, out in the kitchen for 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 the fridge to to get two cold beers, and then suddenly there's a throw in, and I want you to say, "Hey, mate, there's a throw in. Come on," because that's the level I want throw ins to be. Yeah. For that kind of space creation, for that kind of space defending, so people are saying, "Wow, that was a great pattern," or "That was, it was good." They 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 waited for the third third uh, space to arrive there. So you know, so it's just because we're not used to it. We just use it. Okay, come get that ball in, chug it up the line, or or people are just frustrated around throwing. So so my big goal is to make throw-ins sexy. Oh, yes. Listen, I, I, there's no <laughs> doubt. I'm certain you're going to do that. I'm absolutely certain you'll do that. Listen, one thing that I, I would like to bring up, Gus, sorry, I apologise if you had that question lined up there. Um, in Scotland, a lot of the, the, the grounds that we play in, um, the environment generally, the fans are very close to the edge of the pitch. Um, how does the environment maybe affect how you build yourself up to take a throw. And I think, as we've said earlier on, I think when you take a long throw, you almost always expect the guy to have, or the girl, the guy or the girl to have a relatively decent long run-up. You don't always have that in some of the grounds in Scotland. And I imagine that's the case all around the world. How do you how do you compensate for maybe having a narrower environment than what you're maybe used to in some of the bigger stadiums? Yeah, first of all, I'll say that you don't necessarily have to take the long throw in because... A lot of my teams are not even using the long throwing, even that even they have great throwers. You can create a space in a lot of different ways and score that way. So that's one thing. They're not saying some pitches, it's often that way that where the camera side are a little more space and the other side really less space, like two meters and so. And then of course, if you're professional and you want to use the long throwing, then of course you're measuring your long throwing with a normal run-in. And and if it, that's good enough to be used as a long throw-in, because sometimes I also see teams who are taking long throw-ins that's way too short. So then don't do it, you know. Um, and then you want to measure, let's say on your home pitch, you know, there are two meters and 12. That's really short. Let's just say that. Then you measure that on the training pitch 
said a little, yeah, something there. And then, then you're like, of course, I do it with the place when I'm out there, but then you'll do your best. And of course, you'll throw a little bit shorter with a very short running, but then you just have to see, is that satisfying enough? Because if you're with efficient technique, only, perhaps only throwing one, two meters shorter, then it might be acceptable. But if if you're throwing like, let's just say five, six, seven meters shorter, then don't do it. Then have another strategy. And and we can scout every every stadium in the world. So, you know, you know already know it before you play away too. So that's just a professional way to do it. I'll just say that, of course, in Liverpool and Ajax, and so we didn't use the long throwing. We're doing that a lot in in uh, in Brentford. But for example, FC Midtjylland, where I was, I've been there for several periods. The last period was from 2015 to 2018. So four seasons, we scored uh, 35 goals on long throw-ins, so eight and a half per season. Um, so really good winning two championships too. And one of the things we did was like, we we make the stadium perfect for long throw-ins. So for example, uh, at the camera end, there was like really good running. I can't even remember like six, seven meters. But the challenge was that they had like a, li a little concrete thing, like two meters from the line. It was not big. It was just like this. And then sticking like, I don't know, three, four centimeters over the ground. But it was it was enough. So you were afraid of stepping on it. Right, so okay. what we did was like before, uh, yeah, one of the seasons, we just took that away, like made a whole new run in all the way down the pitch. Because, hey, if you want to score a lot of long throw-ins, there should be no excuses. Of course, if you have to stand, you can move that. But there are a lot of obstacles there. So it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be, um, yeah, you should uh, take it as, as professional as you can. So, and you can, you can do a lot there. And obviously, as we are a, a Rangers podcast, we aren't going to get you on and not ask you about Rangers. I mean, uh, we played Liverpool last season in the Champions League. I'm not going to remind you of the scores uh, of those two games, but uh, were you were you involved in the the preparation for those two games at all? If you can tell us anything about that, oh yeah, I, I can easily. No, I'm not. I'm not usually in the pre preparation. I'm normally like analyzing the games afterwards and then i'm of course not every week but once mm -hmm. in a while i'm coming to the training ground and training with the players but i'm doing throwing analysis and so but i'm normally i'm normally um normally only doing it after and i'll also say that even though there can be a little specific things around certain teams i think at least with my time in every club because i'm in many clubs it's it's better used analyzing after and then Concentrating on your own strength regarding attacking throw-ins, also defending when your opponents have it, and then and then um, yeah, analyzing and then try to improve after every game. So um, so yes, but uh, yeah, Rangers, fantastic, fantastic club, traditional club, historical club, and and I think that yeah, also in Denmark it it has a great name there with yeah, Brian Laudrup back in the days too and. So, um, yeah, so, so, um, yeah, it's a fantastic club and, and yeah, that rivalry with, uh, <laughs> with Celtic too, that's always exciting to follow here also from, 
from Denmark too. And and it's actually always been a, a dream for me to come to and coach in Scotland, also just to visit Scotland because I've never been there. I've been many times to to England and you know, not only for football, but also for for the nature, you know, yeah. fantastic nature. Again, only seen it in videos and and movies, pictures and so, but but that's for sure um, on my list of things to do. Um yeah, in the future. Oh, you should definitely you should definitely get the chance to to come over. There's listen, there are some bits that aren't as nice as others, but I'm fairly sure if you were to come over, you would um, you'd manage to to feast on on the nice bits. Let's before it. I let you go. I know you've got a, a, a book that's that's just on the verge of being issued. Why don't you let us know a little bit about that tonight? Yeah, I'll say that um, it'll probably not be a book. It'll probably be an online course instead. Okay. Because I realized what would you want to do? Is it to sell books or make people better? And of course, you can improve by books. But I think the, um, the online course thing might even be better. Uh, there's a really lot, for example, on my homepage, thomasgronemark.com, they're already now, actually today I passed like like 8,000 subscribers who've been getting my four base basic uh, throwing drills, and it's from over 100 countries, so there's like gigantic interest there. So so I think in, in the near future I'll be doing some online courses, and my approach is that for me it's not about earning money, it's about making a change. Because, you know, everybody says to you in the online world, you say, oh, you want to have a high ticket and you want to really sell really expensive. Not to so many people, but it has to be expensive. Yes, you can earn a lot of money on that. But for me, it's much more important that are you 14 coaching in, in Scotland or in Rangers can, can buy it that someone from Australia or a coach from India so, so for sure, I'll, I'll try to make it affordable so and make the change that way because people have been just been asking and asking and asking and asking the last four years and so on. And I've been saying, oh, yeah, I hope it won't take long. And, and so it's also like hard because I, I, I really love to help people. So, so for sure there, because until now, I've, even though I have a YouTube channel and so I've been giving a little bit and so I, I've only kept my secret to the club I'm coaching, so the, all the clubs in the world there. So, so, so when I'm doing something, that they'll also, of course, the, the pro coaches can can still buy it, but also be for the youth coaches, for the amateur coaches who are just want to improve their team. So, so, um, so yes, uh, the book will wait. So I think I'll start with with the online thing first. Brilliant. Good for you. Listen, Thomas, it's been great to have you on. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you do make throw-ins sexy. I really do. I want to see us talking about sexy throw-ins on the telly. That would be that would be excellent. And at that point, you know you've done your job. That's it. You're done. Um, yeah. <laughs> I hope you do that. So, listen, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, you're absolutely welcome. It was a pleasure. And Gus, always good to have you on again, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Yep, good to be here, as always. So don't forget, if you are um, looking at us on all of our YouTube stuff, don't forget to like and subscribe. Strike the bell so you get a notification each time we release content. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.